You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen, amen. You may be seated. And uh, hey church, happy anniversary. What a big deal. Isn't it? Isn't it such a big deal? Amen, amen, amen. And I guess, I guess it's, it's right to technically say, too, happy birthday as well, right? Because I, um, I remember, I had the uh, distinct honor, and I remember y'all when you were born. You know what I'm saying? And um, it's so interesting to see a, a, a child be brought into the world. And what a joy to look back on what God has done from those moments of conception, which what it was, and to see the child to be brought into this world. And just to look at you now, I saw it during the crawling stage and then the toddler stage, but now you're all grown up and you look so beautiful, you know? And uh, so so proud of what the Lord has done and so excited to see that. And so just from where I am on the elders of Harvest Oakville, I mean, listen, the answer to this, to this nation is the church of Jesus Christ, amen? I mean, that is the answer to this world. The only hope this nation has, Jesus Christ is the light of the nations. And the church of Jesus Jesus Christ is to be the light that shines as his representative into this dark world. So this church wasn't here as we heard five years ago, but look at it now. Two services and the way that the God is moving and growing. And that is the hope again for this region, for our land, and literally for the entire world. So please, please understand the church of Jesus Christ for all its faults, because we're a part of it. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? But for all its faults, it is the most powerful institution in the history of the universe, or at least in this world. It is, it is the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus married the church. Jesus died for the church. Listen, listen. Jesus loves his church. So don't ever underestimate what this represents right now. This is God's plan for the message of salvation to reach the world that many of you have experienced even since this church has been born. You are saved here and growing here and becoming more like Jesus Christ. So in our world, we look around, a lot of things look enticing. This right here, this is beautiful. So rejoice in that. Rejoice in the reality that God is building his church and we get to be a part of that. And that's a great spot for an amen. Amen, because it's so true, because it's so true. All right, let's get our Bibles open to 1 Samuel 16 on this very special anniversary uh, weekend, anniversary Sunday, and I believe um, I want to give a message today that speaks to one of the most important aspects um, of our lives as Christ followers and what God cares about so much, and so that's why this message is here before us today. So 1 Samuel, if you need a Bible, you can put your hand up. The ushers will give you a Bible. Put your hand up nice and high. They'll give you a Bible. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. So 1 Samuel 16, I wonder as you're turning there if you know the significance of that chapter in God's Word. Some of you probably do right now, some of you maybe don't, but I want to make sure we understand as we turn to 1 Samuel 16, this is such a significant chapter in God's Word because this is the first time in the Scriptures that we are introduced to a young man called David. It's the first time we're introduced to this young man called David, and as we are introduced to David's life, we are also, I suggest to you, introduced to one of the most, if not one of the most important themes in all of Scripture. Now, why would I say that? Here's why. Because the single greatest lesson we learn from David's life, there's one lesson we learn from the life of David, it's this. He was a man after the heart of God. And so what we learn today, too, is one of the most important things that God cares about from your life and mine and this church as a whole, that we would be men and women and a body of Christ that is pursuing with passion the very heart of God. I mean, think about it. The only person in Scripture to carry the title, a man after God's own heart, is David. That is not insignificant, loved ones. That is a very, very big deal. We are wise then to listen and to learn and to gather the truth of what it means to be a man or a woman following after the heart of God. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, he wrote the book, The Pursuit of God. That book was used to change my life in some ways to form my ministry. The thesis of the book is following hard after the Lord. A.W. Tozer had a phrase that he delighted in that I delight in too. He said this, he called it the fellowship of the burning heart. 
And when he talked about the fellowship of the burning heart, it's men and women who were gathering together in the unity and the fellowship of hearts and a zeal after the Lord God Almighty. You know when you go up to someone who's fired up in Jesus Christ? Spiritually, when you're around this person, they have a contagious, authentic Christianity. There's a warmth that comes from their life. And I like to say it, you can actually warm your hands on their soul. You know those kind of people? You know those kind of people? But conversely, there's some people that have hard hearts and are very cold, and you walk up beside them, and you're like, I'm getting kind of chilly right now. You know what I'm saying? And those kind of people, you're like, I'm going to pray for you, whatever. But the people who have a passion and a zeal and a, a genuine desire, this is an emotional stuff. This is a, a true love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The fellowship of the burning heart. We find ourselves warmed and encouraged, and it becomes contagious around us. That, that is what Tozer means. The fellowship of the burning heart. But the originator of the fellowship of the burning heart was David. And we, we get to examine why today and to take these lessons into our lives. In Acts chapter 13, it says this about David. God is describing David. He says, I have found a man after my own heart. Now listen to what is now the qualification of a man or woman after God's own heart. It's this. I found a man after my own heart who will do all that is according to my will. The NIV says, I have found a man after my own heart who will do everything I ask him to do. Let me ask you this right now as we begin this weekend together. Where's your heart? What would be described about your heart? Would your heart be described that way? The heart that is after the Lord is a heart that says, God, whatever you say, I will do. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm in because your plan is better than mine. Where's your heart? Where's the heart? I want to speak to the church today, to Harvest Niagara. Where is the heart of Harvest Niagara and where is it going? Because when the Lord finds a heart as a whole that is pursuing him and says, God, whatever you want to do, that is the heart, that is the body, that is the church that will be so powerfully used for the glory of God. Because this posture, this passion, this principle of a heart after the Lord, it's the single greatest indicator of a life that will be used from a life that won't. If there's one in scripture, this is it. Because a man after God's own heart, can't you just hear embedded within that the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It shouldn't be new because it's not. God cares about this so much. Where's your heart? Proverbs 4 verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. This is why in the greatest sermon ever given, you know the greatest sermon ever given? Trust me, it's not today's, all right? All right? The greatest sermon ever given is the Sermon on the Mount given by Good for you. Good, good. In Matthew 5, and the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes, right? And in the Beatitudes, Jesus says this, greatest sermon ever given, the beginning of the greatest sermon, the character that Jesus is looking for, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, tell me, tell me, see God. Did you hear that? Jesus starts off the greatest sermon ever. Blessed are the pure in heart. What does that mean? Intimate fellowship and communion with the Lord. The man or woman who loves the Lord is the man or woman who will see God. No wonder then in Luke's gospel, Jesus also says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to know where your heart is? Find out what you treasure. Honestly, right now, do you treasure money? That's where your heart is then. Where's your treasure? There's your heart. Where's your heart? It's what you treasure. In Luke's gospel also, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you think God cares about the heart? Uh, yes, he does. Because where our hearts are at, where the heart of this church is at, will determine where you are going and where I am going as well. So I just want to take, just want to take a couple of seconds right now, because this is an important theme to the Lord, and I pray it's important to us. I just want to take like a couple of seconds to pray right now, okay? Would you pray with me? Don't, don't let Pastor Boy up here pray alone, okay? All right? You pray. Pray for your heart right now and for the heart of the church that you love here in this place. So Father, I do just pray briefly but I pray so powerfully and with authenticity for the heart of this church in Niagara. I'm so thankful. The heart of Pastor Daryl, the heart of the elders, the heart of the small group leaders, Lord. The heart of the people, men, women, children, every age. Oh God, would you even give us a word today from the life of David, just helping us to see what is most important, what matters, Lord, to you, and that we would be encouraged, corrected, challenged, but so blessed to know the path before us that would result truly in the glory of God. I pray this in the name of Jesus, and if you agree, you can say 
Amen. Amen. All right, here's our passage today, 1 Samuel 16. We're going to try to get through the first 13 verses, but I want to start off by reading verse 1. And this will be our introduction and set up our context for where we're going today. So 1 Samuel 16 verse 1 says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Notice, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now, We get context right here in verse 1. Some of us, as we come to 1 Samuel 16, we know where we are in Scripture. But some of us aren't quite sure. Where are we in terms of the chronology of Scripture? Well, let's just take a moment to get us all on the same page because the context fuels application. Okay, At this point right here, Samuel has been the judge of Israel. Samuel was the final judge in the history of Israel. Why? Because the people of Israel decided among themselves they no longer wanted to judge, but they wanted an earthly king. But if you're looking at Israel, you say, wait, Israel, you have a king. He's called God. But see, the Israelites weren't satisfied with a heavenly king. They wanted an earthly king. Why? Because they were looking at the world around them. And they saw the world, the world, the the nations around them, they had earthly kings. And they're, how come we can't have an earthly king? But the problem was, but you do have a king. He's called God. He's in heaven. But see, the evil of the human heart, they became dissatisfied with the invisible God in heaven, and they wanted to replace his lordship and kingship with a visible man on earth. That's a bad plan, but this is what they wanted to do. Furthermore, the nations were coming up to them, and they were saying, hey, where's your king? Where's your king? And they're like, he's, uh, he's up in heaven. They're like, that's lame. Our king's right here. We can touch him. Look, we can see him. We can point to him. We can't even see your king. So Israel became insecure. And in their insecurity, they wanted, listen, this is, there's application all over this passage. In their insecurity, they wanted to be more like the world. And therefore, they're like, give us a king. Give us a king. You know what God says? God says, fine, you want a king? I'll give you a king on your terms, though not mine. God's like, you want it your way? We'll see how that works out. And this now introduces us to the context of where we meet Saul. Saul was made king in the midst of the situation where God was rejected by God. And God says that in 1 Samuel. Samuel, don't be sad. They have rejected not you. They've rejected me as being king over them. Here's the context of where Saul enters in. Now, Saul had a decent start to being king over Israel, uh, except for the day when he was called and he was hiding in the baggage. Remember that story in Scripture? That's just crazy, huh? Hey, where's, the, where's our new king? Oh, he's hiding in the bags. That's, that's not a great omen, is it, right? right? But then he had a decent start in some ways, but he had a horrible finish. It got to the point where God says, I'm done with him. Saul can no longer be king. I will now seek and provide for myself, ready, a man after my own heart. And this is the setting in which we meet David. The people have had their way, Saul. Now God will have his way with David. Let this lesson sink in, loved ones. Let this lesson be understood today. God is impressed with a heart after his own. And the heart after his own. Listen, the heart wants his ways, God's ways, not their own way. But the people of God, you know what they did? And this is what we do sometimes do. We get the map out of our lives. We take the map out of our lives, and there's point A, and there's point B. And we say, God, here's my A where I am now, and here's B, here's where I want to go. Now, God, I want to get to my destination B, but I want my journey to be filled with no trial, no health issues, no financial downturns, no heartaches. I want it easy. I want it smooth. I want no turns that are unexpected. I want no bumps. I want just a nice, smooth pass. God, here's my map, and bless it. And God's like, well... I see your map A to B, and I agree you're here, and I agree you're going to be glory, but that's not exactly how it's going to go, all right? You're going to get there. You're going to, I guarantee you, you will get to glory. But on the way, there's going to be some bumps. And on the way, there's going to be some ups and downs. On the way, there's going to be some trials. There's going to be some crisis. There's going to be some opposition. On the way, there's going to be some health issues. On the way, there's going to be fi- some financial instability. You will get to where I'm going, but it's not going to be the way that you want it to be because the destination of B is not necessarily the way, again, you desire to be, but it's the way that I have determined it will be. And so my way is always right. And the person who is following after the heart of the Lord understands and trusts that the will of God is always, always preferred over the will 
of man. Amen? Amen? This is a huge point of maturity in the Christian life, though. The mature Christian understands the ways of God are not the ways of man. Israel had to learn this lesson again, and this is why David was brought onto the scene at this critical time in the nation and the history of Israel. So now we get to the heart of our passage right here, and what are we learning today? What does the Lord do with a heart after his own? How does the Lord use a heart that is fully his? What does the Lord do with a church with a heart dedicated to the purposes and the will of the Lord. We're going to see three main points today from the life of David of what it means to have a heart after God and how he uses this. Number one is this. This is the heart that will be set apart by the Lord. The heart that is going after God's. God will use this in this way. It's the heart that will be set apart for the purposes of of the Lord. Look now at verse 1 again. Let me just walk through the first three verses now. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your home with oil. Go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Notice, for I have provided, this is beautiful, I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. Notice, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. I think the most powerful phrase in these verses is found in verse one, where God says, I have provided for myself a king, okay? Now, here's the principle of truth. Remember, Saul was there. Saul's rejected. David is now in. And God says, I am now going to, I'm now going to do it my way. I'm providing for myself a king. Here's the principle of truth. This is such a great word for our church, for this church here today. It's this. Ready? Saul goes out. Here's what we learn. God will never allow his work to die by the death or failure of man. God is never dependent upon any one man. If it's truly God's work, loved ones, God's work will carry on. Do you hear that? God's not resting on the success or failure of Saul. If God is in it, God carries on. That is why then, at the end of the day, we don't put our trust in man. We don't put our trust in a pastor. We don't put our trust in a group of elders, ultimately. We don't put our trust in a church or a denomination. Now, hear me, hear me, hear me. I'm all for honoring the leaders of the church. Trust me, I am one, okay? I'm all for that. I'm all for honoring and respecting the elders, as Scripture says. But at the end of the day, here's a great spot for an amen, okay? At the end of the day, we're not following a man. We're following Jesus Christ, right? Now, we imitate our pastor as he imitates Jesus Christ, but only along that way. Listen, this is why churches come and go. This is why denominations come and go in our very land. You have been a part of churches in your past that at one time were robust and rocking it for the Lord and the truth of theology and lives being changed, and now they are a country club of social nothingness. And God has left that building, and as Revelation says, if you forget your first love, you better repent, or I will take your lampstand and put it elsewhere. Think about it. This church is here right now because five years ago in some form, God says, other people are not doing this. I take lampstand from this place. I give it to you. And as long as you're faithful to me with a heart that loves me, the lampstand will be here and shine in the Niagara region for the glory of God. But the moment you are unfaithful to the promises of God and a heart after his, God makes no promises that harvest Niagara will be here forever or harvest Oakville or harvest as a whole. What I love about this, God looks down upon this church right now at the end of the, he doesn't see harvest. He sees his kingdom. He sees his church. I love harvest. I'm so thankful for harvest, but I'm not dying on the hill of harvest and neither should you. I'm dying on the hill of Jesus Christ. But listen, listen, listen. You fought, I love what Tozer said. This is why A.W. Tozer said, follow the man who follows God. Listen to the man who listens to God. Follow the man with oil on his forehead. Those are the men that I look to, and I am so glad to follow because they are leading me to Jesus Christ. Saul goes down. God's like, no problem. I got a king. I got a a king for myself, David. And let me just say this too. By God's grace, you have a man leading this church as your senior pastor who I believe is a man who listens to the Lord. And I believe a man who loves the Lord. 
And I commend him to you as someone I've watched over many years with integrity and authenticity and a humility because he loves Jesus Christ. He's not perfect. He'll be the f- I've heard him say that so many times. I'm not perfect. But I love the way he loves the Lord. You are so blessed. Hey, listen, as a senior pastor, he can't say this the way I can right now. Pray for him. Pray that his love for Jesus Christ, because every moment he loves Jesus Christ, you are so blessed. Every day he lives for Christ and not himself, you get blessed in the process because you are being led by a man who's leading you to Jesus Christ. And that is the power of a heart that's going after the Lord. And just, just imagine, what is the enemy most afraid of? The enemy is most afraid of David's. He's most afraid of men truly wanting it for the right reasons. And David himself went down, didn't he? But still used by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, you're blessed. You're blessed. We need to see that and together united, understanding this is the heart that God will use. So notice this. Notice that Samuel is commanded to go to whose house? Samuel is commanded to go to the house of Jesse. Now, I love biblical theology, okay? I'm about to go on a little bit of a tangent, so please give me some grace. I can't resist not sharing this with you, okay? When David is said to go to the, or Samuel is to go to the house of Jesse, right away, because I love biblical theology, I think of Isaiah 11, verse 1. And Isaiah 11, verse 1 says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, the shoot from the stump is referring to who? Referring to Jesus Christ. Yes, you're a little bit shy. I love that. It's okay. It's okay. You can speak up. It's okay. It's referring to Jesus Christ, okay? So notice this. In our passage, 1 Samuel 16, uh, Samuel, go to the house of Jesse. What is that about? That's about David. Amen. It's about David. David will be chosen. But there's a greater picture happening across God's word right now, too. The moment God says, go to the house of Jesse, David, yes but something more. The greater picture is God is orchestrating his overall plan for the salvation of the world because from the stump of Jesse will come forth a shoot, Jesus Christ, who will be the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the savior of the world, okay? Here's my point. First Samuel 16, there's a small, beautiful picture. But there's a greater story happening for the glory of God as the theology of the gospel and God's sovereign plan is unfolding before us. I love that so much. I hear Jesse, I'm like, wow, the plan of the gospel that Jesus Christ might come as the light of the world to save us from our sins right here immediately and then beyond that as well. Why do I bring that up? Because so often with hearts that love the Lord but hearts can be distracted, so often all we do is focus on our little thing. And we're like, I call it navel-gazing. And we look down, and we're like, me, 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 me. And like my driveway, my backyard, my little family, and that can be okay. That can be totally fine. We need to be concerned. But if all we do is look at our own little thing or your own little church, and all we do is look at this, and we don't look up and recognize the sovereign, infinite plans of God across this universe, I think we miss out. And that's what's happening right here, even within the text, as we see the theology that unfolds. And it's, it's so, I love what you did today. And you're saying, not just Daryl, he's such a good leader, not just here in our church, but look what God's doing across the world. That's it, that's it. There's so much more happening beyond us. And when we can look up and see the greatness of God, we become smaller, he becomes bigger. This past summer, I had the chance going out to Denver with my oldest son, and we were up at Harvest Denver, but there's, um, there's so many, the Rocky Mountains are there. We went to this Mount, Mount Evans, 14,000 feet um, above sea level, and we got off the plane, and we got in the car and drove. So we landed at 5,000 feet above sea level, and we drove to 14,000. That wasn't the smartest thing, because I got altitude sickness and had to preach that weekend. What can you do, right? What can you do? Well, we got up to the top, and I'm telling you, right to the top, and the glory, the, the, the creation and, and my, my son, so funny, we're driving up, it's just like mile, like 15 miles up, driving the car on the road. He's like, Dad, what are we doing again? Why are we doing this? We get to the top, he's like, no more questions, I get it. <laughs> and we're looking, and we're, the majesty. Do I feel big or small in that moment? I feel very small. Also this summer, up at my in-law's cottage up in the Muskoka area, and my wife's uncle, he's like a scientific genius. He loves astronomy, fears the Lord. He brought us out in the dock one night, and he was showing us all the stars. He had this big telescope that he owns, and he brought it out. He goes, this is a special night, though, not a cloud in the sky, and the stars were lighting up, 
lighting up everywhere. And he's like, I want you to see this. There's like 20 of us there, men, women, children. And we're all kind of lining up in the telescope to take a look. He's like, first, watch this. Look at Jupiter. And you look through the telescope and you see Jupiter. And you're like, oh, it's amazing. He's like, that's nothing. Look at that. Here's Saturn. Look at Saturn. And the rings around Saturn. I've never seen it before. I'm like, oh, wow, that's amazing. He's like, trust me, we're just getting started. And then he's like, look at the Milky Way. And just lighting up. Then he says, look at Antares. That is like that mega star that's so many times bigger than our sun, like a million times bigger, whatever it is. And you're just, I, can, I, I remember talking about that as sermon. And now I can see it. That's incredible. And he's like, again, but look at this. And we look through, here's a cluster of stars. And the cluster that we're looking at through the telescope, it represents 400,000 stars. And you're like, really? But he goes, but here's, here's the best part right now. Tonight is a very special night. You look in the telescope, we can actually look into a galaxy that is beyond our own. Doesn't happen very often, he says. And look through here. So we're all, again, we're lining up. My turn, my turn, my turn. And you look and you can see the galaxy beyond our own galaxy. And I think he described it as this. I'm pretty sure this is right. He says that is 25 million light years away. Now, at that point, my brain just starts to hurt. I'm like, I don't even know what that really means. But he says that light began to reach us 25 million light years ago and is now reaching us right now. Really? Really? How awesome is our God? How we're just a little tiny speck on this earth, and our God is so glorious. You know what John Piper says? He says this, no one goes to the Grand Canyon to improve their self-esteem. Isn't that so true? And I'm telling you, the ability to see that David's called, but then to look beyond and see God has a plan of infinite proportions beyond ourselves. It's so healthy to look up and see, my God is in control. My God is beautiful. My God is awesome. He has me. He has my small group. He has my church. But he has the entire universe in the palm of his hand. And that's a heart that fears the Lord, and that's a heart that is used for the purposes of God. That's my tangent, and I'm sticking to it, okay? It's a tangent. Now, we're going back to the text now, but I'm trusting you were blessed as I was with that insight as well. So back to our text now. Back to our text. Listen, the Lord has provided for himself a king, and he says to Samuel, look at verse 3, verse 3, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. You know what I love about this scene, okay? David is in the shepherd's field. David is about to be anointed as the next king. He has no clue what's coming. He has no clue. Ready, ready? But he's already been chosen. Chosen by the sovereignty of God, also chosen by the health of his heart. What do we learn here, loved ones? We learn this. When we least expect it, we are being scrutinized by God himself. In a good way. When we least expect it, God is watching God is analyzing. God is seeing, can he entrust us with more? When the Lord looks down, 2 Chronicles 69, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to strongly support those whose heart is blameless towards him. And the eyes of the Lord search this room right now. And what's he seeing? He searches this room as a church as a whole. It's so beautiful to think what God could do with this group of people. What he has done, what he will do. When he understands that we are for him, that we are truly for his glory. And little did David the teenager, he was a teenager, possibly preteen as well, little did David the teenager know that the anointing oil was on its way. Listen, when God chooses to exalt, nothing and no one is stopping him. Oh, the heart that loves the Lord with all their heart, what happens? This will be the heart that is set apart for the Lord himself. This takes us to the second observation we see. What does the Lord do with the heart after his? Secondly, this. This is the heart that will be now found. It will be set apart, but now this is the heart that God will find. Look at verse 4 now. So verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Now, why were the elders trembling? This is probably Saul's leadership of tremendous insecurity uh, leaking down to the people. They're like, oh no, Samuel's here. Are we in trouble? Are we dead? Are we dead? Samuel's like, relax. It's okay. I come peaceably. So he says that, verse 5. And he said, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Here's the command. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse 7. This is really the whole text right here. This is the whole passage. 
Verse 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Here we go, ready? For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. By the way, do you underline in your Bible? I hope you do. I commend it to you. This verse needs to be underlined, okay? For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the, tell me, tell me, the heart, the heart. Notice here, notice here. This verse reveals so much of God's heart for our heart. It reveals God's heart for the heart of this church today. Notice, again, Samuel comes to Bethlehem. He's like, I come in peace. And the first up now of Samuel's or of Jesse's sons is Eliab. Now, notice in verse 6, Samuel is impressed with Eliab. He says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. It's interesting here, isn't it? In all of Samuel's experience, in all his wisdom, in all his knowledge and his years, he still didn't fully understand the will of God here. So what God does, he stops right here and he teaches even Samuel this massive lesson. And that's what verse 7 says. He's like, Samuel, don't you get it? I'm not impressed with on the outside. I, the Lord, I'm looking for the character of the individual. I'm looking at the heart. Because when, listen, listen, this is so important. When I have your heart, I have your everything. When the Lord has our hearts, then he has our everything. And this is what the Lord is looking for. That phrase here, man looks on the outward appearance. Literally, that is man looks on the face. That's our culture. That is our culture here today. We are obsessed with outward appearance, but the Lord is obsessed with what's on the inside. So this is why Eliab comes up, then Abinadab comes up, then Shammah comes up, and four other sons pass by, and God says no every time. Nope, 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 nope. And why does God say no? Ready, ready? God says no because God sees their hearts. Here's the principle that A.W. Pink summarizes hero put this on the screen for you right now it's such a a great line you put that aw pink there it is he says this god ignores that in which the flesh glories okay god ignores that in which the flesh the flesh glories in the outward appearance god ignores that god looks on the heart so if i'm back in Oakville right now i'm doing this i knock on the pulpit and i do hey wisdom's at the door it's for you Okay? Or I do this. Uh, the phone's for you. It's wisdom. It's wisdom. This is wisdom time right now in God's word. Verse 7, understanding A.W. Pink's quote. Why is it wisdom time? Because here it is, okay? Wisdom says, what I'm learning right now is God is so clearly telling me that if the majority of my life is living for the world, I am living for that which God will ignore. That's not smart. You don't want to be that person, I pray. Wisdom says, why would I want to give the majority of my life to that which in the end will add up to boop, nothing? Do you know how many people and believers have these storage of chips, these, these, this pile of chips that they're bringing to the Lord at the end of the day, and they're going to present it? God, here's all my chips from temporal pursuits. And God's going to be like, but that's wood, hay, and stubble. It's worth nothing. It's not gold, silver, or precious stones, as it says in Corinthians. And God, look what all I've done. He's like, but it's, it's all temporal. It's, there's, believers are doing that on a daily basis, spending their lives for that which doesn't count. It's foolishness. The Bible tells us over, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth. Store for yourselves treasures that in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. This is the wisdom that God has for us today. The wisdom in the church, the wisdom of families represented, the wisdom in marriages, the wisdom in individual lives. Let's not build our lives in that which God is not even excited about in the least. I implore you to believe the Lord looks on the heart. And I wonder as we look at temporal pursuits, is there any greater idolatry in our world right now than the idolatry of physical appearance. You know, I was walking through a shopping mall from time to time, whatever. It's not, it's not a bad thing to go to a shopping mall, okay? It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. If you need to buy clothes, I'm glad you were all addressed today. That's good, okay? That's good. But I was walking through a shopping mall, and I just had this moment. I think about these things a lot. I'm like, 95% of everything in here is an obsession with physical appearance. It's an obsession. 
It's like everything, all the, all the messages are like, you need this. This needs to be you. This is your identity. This is what is your worth. And it's like, we need to buy clothes. Again, I said that. It's not wrong to go shopping. Don't, ever, don't send me an email this week saying, you know, I did whatever. Hey, listen. But to, to, to recognize at its face value, if we're, if we're looking to put our identity in this, we will be sadly disappointed. I want to speak to two people here today right now. I can speak to 10 people in different ways. I want to speak to the young woman who's here right now. The young woman that is here right now, and you are so tempted in our culture to believe that your identity ultimately comes from how you look, from how you look and the appearance of you on the outside. Is it possible by the faith of Jesus Christ? And I'd love if I could to sit down and just look at you at eye level right now. Young woman or young man here today, is it possible that you could believe in the midst of the pressure of the culture that your identity does not come from the size of your biceps or the clothing on your, on your body, but your identity is truly found in the image and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it possible for you to believe that in the midst of all the peer pressure to say, I only am what people say about me? No, 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 no. You are who Jesus says you are. And if you put your faith and love and trust in Jesus Christ, you will find an identity and a beauty and a glory that matters not what anyone else says in your life, but it matters what he says. And when your identity is his identity, that cuts through all the false idols of this world and the beauty you will find, the radiance on your face. Oh, oh, I beg, I beg through this ministry, the Lord would speak to especially our young people in our day and to say, if you take this on, you will find such blessing and joy. The second person I speak to is Maybe the man my age. I'm at that age right now where you realize you're not getting any younger. You know what I'm saying? I'm in my early 40s. And i at that stage of life where I wake up with new injuries all the time. And you're just like, why, do, why is my knee dying? I didn't even do anything yesterday. You know what I'm saying? Just like, what's happening right now? How come I'm feeling this way? But the temptation at the stage that I'm at right now, you feel like, wait, wait, wait. This isn't going in the right direction. I got to make up for it. The temptation is I, I got to feel younger. I got to get a, a nicer wardrobe. I got to get a faster car. I got to have a, a new pursuit. I got to find a way to get more stuff around me. I got to make my identity to, to, to cover for the weakness that I feel. And all society is telling us to do that as well. I'm just, I speak to you. I speak to myself here today and say, is it possible that you could say your identity is not in your car, your house, your vacation, the way that you can provide for yourself, that your identity rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ and your heart after him, that is the only thing you ultimately need. That's the power of living that way. It's so powerful to live that way and the satisfaction that comes and the joy and the beauty of Jesus Christ rooting that in us. This is David. This is why he was so used at this point in his life. And that is why, too, as I speak to this church, this church as a whole, you give me a pastor, a man after God's own heart. Give me a staff member. Give me an elder. Give me a small group leader with hearts for the Lord, and I really don't need anything else. Because you have a heart that's set on the Lord Jesus Christ. From that flows the springs of life. And that's when you find a movement going for the Lord and used of him. Character, character, character. This was the heart of David, and that's why God said, I provided for myself a king, a man after my own heart. What I want to do right now, and I want to unpack why was, though, David's heart, what, 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 what made David's heart so impactful and so effective? For that, I have four Fs, okay? Four Fs as we look at uh, our passage here today, four principles of why was David's heart so effective. The first one is this, and this will be really helpful for us. We'll apply it to our lives. First of all, number one is this. David was faithful in his field, okay? David was faithful in his field. Again, notice this. The whole time this situation, Samuel, Jesse, the seven brothers, the whole time this is going on, David is oblivious. He's oblivious, loved ones, but he's being prepared for greatness. You know, it was his time in the field that was preparing him for greatness ahead. What is David doing? He's caring for the sheep. He's doing the job no one else wanted to do. And whether he knows it or not, as he's doing the job no one else wants to do, he's in the school of ministry. He's in the preparation of his heart to be a shepherd and caring for the people of God. I can't stress this enough, okay? You want to be used of God? God is calling you and I to be faithful where we are today. Let me ask you this. Where's your field right now? What happens? So often we're in our place. Where I want to be here. I want to be there. I want to go this place. How come I'm not? How come I'm not? No, 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 no. You want to be a man or woman after God's own heart? You be faithful where you are today. 
You let God worry about tomorrow. Where is your field right now? For some of us, it's work. For some of us, it's church. For some of us, it's our home. For some of us, it's our neighborhood. Where we all have a field. Where's your field? You be found faithful in your field. Because when you are faithful in your field, that's a testing ground for whether your heart could be used for what's ahead. You know how many young men come up to me and different people at different times and I want to be great, I want to be great. Well, you better start with getting low because God exalts the humble. He opposes, I want to be great, I want it today. I'm like, well, you can do it your way, but I would, I would suggest going the way that the Bible clearly explains. It's like, take your, be patient, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God first. I want to be great, I want to be great. Okay, well, you go be great and I'll watch you as you return crawling on your knees and crying like I have a hundred different times because God has to break me before he's going to use me. Be faithful where you are today. David was faithful in his field. When I started out in ministry, I was a youth pastor in Mississauga. I can bring you to the intersection at 10.20 at night as I was just driving along Cothra, just past Bloor. After driving, I had 10, 10 kids in the youth group. I think one of them might have been saved. And the other nine, frankly, they were very bratty, okay? And I was there, I'm like, what, what is happening here? I'm not a youth pastor, I'm a chauffeur. And like, where are the parents? And how come no one's being thankful? I started feeling sorry for myself in a big way. I'm like, God, what, this isn't ministry. What are we doing here? How come I thought you called me to this? Da, 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 da. And I started whining and complaining and self-pity and just resenting where I was. I can tell you the moment as I was crying out to God in my own, my own sinfulness and complaining. And God spoke to me, not audibly, the way that your heart so... He's like, Robbie, faithful with little, faithful with much. I can bring you to the intersection where that happened on the Friday night at 10.20 p.m. And it changed everything for me. Will you be faithful with what I've entrusted with you, Robbie? Or will you whine and complain and demand more when you don't realize I'm preparing you for what's ahead if you would only submit to my wisdom and not your own? This is what separated David from his brothers. Here's the second thing we learn about David's heart. He was faithful in the familiar now, being a shepherd, that can be routine. Being a shepherd, that can be mundane. Being a shepherd, that could certainly be boring at times. But David was faithful in what was familiar. But wouldn't you know what? All the days, all the days, the mundane, the boring, but David at his task, and all of a sudden a bear shows up one day. And David is used by the Lord to kill the bear. Another day, a lion shows up. And David is used to wrestle down and kill the lion. And let's see, hmm, in the mundane, this thing happens all of a sudden. That would prepare him for something like hmm, Goliath. Ever heard of that story before in the Bible? Yeah, yeah. Notice, notice, God in the familiar preparing David for the greatness that is ahead. He goes up to Saul in 1 Samuel, and he's like, listen, I can kill this Goliath guy because I've killed a bear and I've killed a lion. Goliath, he's smoked, man. I got God. Let's do this. Prepared in the familiar for greatness. How does that apply to you right now? How does that apply to this church? Always longing for the next thing, aren't we? We're so impatient. We just say, God, you are and you are. No, 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 no. He knows exactly what he's doing. Here's the third thing we see about David's heart. He was faithful when forgotten. That's a huge test of every heart in this room right now. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. What does that tell you about Jesse and the way he views David, right? Notice this. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. I love this. For we will not sit down until he comes here. That's so great. What? There's one more? Go get him. We're standing right here until he comes. Now, this is remarkable to me because Jesse was commanded to bring every son. How many sons does he have? Eight. How many did he bring? Seven. How many sons was he commanded to bring? All of them. So this is like, David's in the shepherd's field. All this stuff's going on. And David's summoned. He comes up and he, it's kind of like when you call for a family photo, but you invite everyone except the youngest. Like how, youngest comes up and is like, hey, what are you guys doing? Look, you're taking a family picture without me. Like, well, you know, like, like how, how, how mean is that? This is what happened. This is what, this is what's going on. Jesse's sitting here and here's a little bit of a parenting tip right here from in the negative from Jesse. Parents, parents, don't ever underestimate a certain child in your family. Think how much Jesse blew this one. Pfft, David, he's keeping the sheep. He's the youngest. He'll never amount to anything. We can really assume that for what's happening in the text. Little did he know that this one who's keeping the sheep and would amount to anything would be one of the greatest men ever used in Scripture. Wow, that's talking about getting it wrong, isn't it? 
Hey, parents, you have no idea who God has entrusted you with. I could say that too and even harvest kids right now. And the importance and the value of the, of the children God has entrusted us with in this place, don't ever underestimate who is in our midst that we don't know. And the person that seems so unlikely will be the very man or the very woman God will raise up and powerfully use for his glory and his gospel. God help us, God help us to see. But listen, here's the point I want you to see here. David was faithful even when he was passed over, forgotten, or overlooked. How do you do when you're forgotten? Again, it's a huge test of character. This is why some of us haven't been used. Because when we're forgotten, pride fills our lives and we demand justice. How come I haven't? Some of you are here right now. You're like, how come I'm on this stage? How come I'm not in leadership? How come I haven't been used? How come I have been overlooked? How come I'm not? How come, how come? That could be the very reason right there. Because we're not willing to submit ourselves and trust. It's not, long, it's not wrong to long for the opportunity. But are we faithful when we're overlooked? Are we faithful? Can we trust that the Lord sees even if others don't? Huge part of David. Fourthly this, he was faithful in the future. He was faithful in the future. What's amazing about this scene here? David will show up. He will be anointed as future king. But then what? You know what happens next? Like you would think like at this point he's anointed as a future king. And that he would like rush to the palace and take the throne. No, no. After he's anointed as king, he goes back to the shepherd's field. We know that because 1 Samuel 16 tells us. But tell me, if you're David, you're the youngest brother, you are despised by your older brothers. 1 Samuel 17 tells us that too. Especially Eliab, he was so mean to David. If you're David, you're anointed in front of your brothers at the future king. Aren't you tempted to get up and kind of strut a little bit? Hey, what's up, brothers? Who's, uh, who's special now? Hey, aren't you tempted to watch? David, hey, Eliab, in your face, man, in your face. Who's on top now? I am. But there's, there's, there's no signs of that at all. He's such a better man than I am. I'd be so wanting to do that in front of my older brothers. But there's no signs of that at all. Instead, what he does, he humbles himself, returns to where he was, and serves in the future until the Lord called him at another time. This is the heart, and this is the church, the heart of the church that the Lord will use. It's the heart that's set apart, the heart that is found. And then thirdly and finally this, we end here. This is the heart that will be used. It will be used. Look now at verse 12. Look now at verse 12. And he sent and brought him, Samuel did. Now David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Wow. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now again, David, the youngest of eight brothers, somewhere between 10 and 15 years old, scholars estimate, a young shepherd living in Bethlehem of all places. David was seemingly a nobody, yet this nobody would be anointed on this day by the Lord in front of his brothers. This nobody, the Spirit of God, would rush upon him from this day forward. You know the historian Josephus? We don't know if this is true or not, but Josephus writes down, that when Samuel was anointing David with oil in this scene right here, he whispered into his ear what was, what was happening. You are to be the next king of Israel. And whether that happened or not, we can't be sure. But it's a beautiful picture to imagine. Samuel pours the oil on his head and it runs down and he instructs David in what is to be the heart set apart for the things of the Lord. I want to end here though, and this is so key, okay? So today we're hearing, okay, the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord uses a heart after his. The Lord uses a heart that is for him. The Lord wants a heart dedicated to his purposes. Loved ones, all of this is right and true. It is impossible, though, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ in us. It is impossible from the power of the Holy Spirit. You can leave this place and say, I want a heart for the Lord. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go after this. I'm going to try to wake up earlier. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to, you can do all that. But at the end of the day, we will never succeed if it's by our strength. How is it possible that David was even used in this way? How is it possible that you and I are used? Understand this. All of David's life, this is so key, ultimately points to the life of Jesus Christ. David is a type of Christ at the end of the day. David foreshadows 
Jesus Christ, the perfect fulfillment of a heart perfectly dedicated to the purposes and the glory of God. The reason it's possible for David to live this way is a thousand years later, listen, listen, another boy would be born in Bethlehem. A thousand years later, another boy would be a shepherd. It would be called the good shepherd. Another boy would be anointed by the Holy Spirit of God through his baptism and be rushed upon him from that day forward. Another boy would be anointed as king, but he would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And every person who looks to this boy now, this Jesus Christ, would find him to be the author and the source of eternal life the forgiveness of our sins, and the hope of life and the glory that is to come. The only reason David has any chance of being this man is because, again, his life points to Jesus Christ. The only hope you and I have as men and women and as a church is because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything is found there. When you and I find your fullness in the Lord Jesus Christ, his cup overflows and it fills us with a love and affection and a desire for him. So everything comes down to this. I want a heart after God. It all begins and ends with a heart filled with the love and the truth and the life of Jesus Christ. For the first five years, this is what this church has been. Oh God, I pray for the next five and so many more, you will be found as faithful as you've ever been in the pursuit of Jesus Christ for the glory of Jesus Christ with hearts set aflame and on fire for him. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. So Father, I just pray humbly now and just even for this church, Lord, who am I? Yet you are awesome. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ right now, Lord, I thank you for the past five years. I give you glory. I'm so blessed by this, even to be here today, humbled. My heart is warmed. I am just filled with gratitude for the lives that you've changed, Lord, the people being baptized, those saved and growing and in in fervency for Jesus Christ. But we pray together, may this only be the beginning. I pray even now, Lord, in our response to your word, that we will be calling forth a vision from God. Be thou our vision, O Lord. I just pray even take our hearts. May our lives be set apart for you. We have one chance of this, one life to live, and so soon it's going to be done. And so I pray you will maximize our vision and our perspective to say, Lord, I want to live for you. Forget all the distractions, forget all the sideshows, forget all the worldliness. We pray, Lord, that Harvest Bible Chapel Niagara would be so filled with the love and the presence of the Lord God Almighty that they would be used to reach hundreds and thousands of people in the disciple-making mission of Jesus Christ. But again, Lord, it has to be you. It has to be you. It won't be our effort. It'll be your glory. And so lead us now. Lead us now. Bless this church. In Jesus' name.